Hi, I'm Cody Elaine Oliver. I created the popular Black Love docuseries with my husband after seeing the lack of Black people in media and entertainment in happy, loving relationships. We were actually being told there was a Black marriage crisis. So I asked Black people who were married what it takes to make their marriage work. And after more than 200 interviews, I've heard it all. So buckle up and enjoy getting the full story directly from the couples themselves. This is Black Love, The Interviews. Well, I seen her walking across the street. I was in a vehicle and I saw her and I looked at her and um, it was just something about her. She looked back at me and she was walking with a young man. At that time she was pregnant and I saw her and I you know, laid eyes on her. And then I saw her again in the shopping mall. But when I saw her this time, she wasn't pregnant and she hadn't cut her hair real short. And he was with his girlfriend. I was? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was with my girlfriend, and when I seen her, I approached her, and she was at the counter paying for her tenors. And I said, oh, no, I'll pay for that. She wouldn't let me pay for it. Not even knowing. And uh, that's how we met. And we didn't come together right then and there. It didn't happen because she was fighting. She didn't want to give in. And what else happened after that? He came looking for me. Oh, okay. I came looking for her. And some kind of way I wind up on her porch. You know, you asked somebody in the projects where I was living, where did I stay? Uh-huh. Okay. Thank you for helping me. Okay. And I went there, and I knocked on the door. I really did. And she came to the door, and uh, we started talking from then. Tell me what else happened. I was cleaning greens okay. for my dad. Okay. And I was in the kitchen with one of my friends, and she said, girl, that's Troy. I said, girl, who is Troy? I don't know nobody named Troy. Wow. Okay. And because um, before that, my mama used to tell me, girl, somebody named Troy keep calling here for you. I said, I don't know nobody named Troy. Yeah, she gave me her mother number, and she wasn't living with her mother. Okay. And when he came in, I was cleaning the greens. And I had on my mom a duster. You know, back in the day, you wear one of those all into one when you're cleaning up and stuff. So anyway, I was cleaning the greens, and I said, well, well, who are you? What you doing here? He said, um, Corey showed me where you live. And he came in, and um, he was trying to put money in my pocket. Of course, he was a drug dealer at the time. And- But save and deliver, praise God. You Lord. save and deliver now. <laughs> And so he was trying to put money in my pocket. I said, I'll right, take your money. I don't need your money, right? Some kind of way he got the money in my pocket anyway, but then he said, I'll come back and I'll see you later, whatever, whatever. I was going to see my brother from prison. Mm -hmm. My brother Greg was in prison and I made a phone call to you and the same girl was with me because her boyfriend was in prison at the time, but I was going to see my brother. So coming back, we stopped at this little club or whatever. And I just showed you that pay phone that I called you from recently. Uh-huh. It's still there on Elijah Fields. And I said, Troy, this the phone call that I called you from. And so I made a phone call. I said, what you doing? He said, oh, I ain't doing nothing. I said, all right, well, I'm about to come over. So me and her came over. When we came over, he was about to leave to go take a ride across the canal in this area. And so we went took a ride with him from that moment. That's when we started talking. And I was spending the night out. And my mama said, girl, where you been at? I said, oh, I've been by his house. I said, well, I want you to meet my new boyfriend. He introduced him to my mama. And that's how we met. What were your thoughts about having a, a drug dealing boyfriend? 
Well, they used to call our house the greenhouse. So my dad used to sell marijuana and I was his cashier. But I wasn't the type of girl that would hang out with a drug dealer because I was already doing my thing as well. So I didn't need no extras. I said, let me just give him a try. But in that, a lot came with it that I wasn't aware of. Like abusive relationship, cheating, not being honest, a lot of insecurities, you know, a lot of watching over your back type thing. The package, I mean, you get it. You get the whole nine yards, mm -hmm. you know, but I knew that's not what I wanted because when I met him, I told him, I don't want you for your money. I just want you. But he couldn't understand what I meant by when I said, I don't want you for your money. Also, I had to take whatever came with it when I said that I wanted you. So I went through the abuse, fighting, we, you know, choking each other, fighting each other, punching me. And, you know, it was just crazy because the very first time that he put his hands on me, I was out with my girlfriends and we was at a hairdresser. But I was there all day and I'm like, I'm not the type of person that's gonna be at a hairdresser all day. And we goes by his mama's house. So I was there for like about six in the morning to like about seven o'clock that night. Still didn't get my hair fixed. But this was one of the girls that did everybody's hair at the time. But I was only into it because that's what's what they were doing or whatever, so I'm thinking that that's what they do, you know? So I'm gonna sit there and I'm gonna wait. He ain't having that. Cause I mean, we had children still at home or whatever, and I wasn't there all day. We walking in this mama house, we walked to the back of the room, and all of a sudden he just turned around and went, Paya! I said, boy, what you did that for? Not to this day, he could tell me what that was about. So the next morning I woke up, black guy. And so that was the starting of the abuse. And I'm like, dang, where that come from? You know, cause I'm like, I ain't never had to deal with this. I'm my daddy's girl, you know? So I ain't had that problem. I mean, I grew up with four brothers of my own and my daddy was my protector. So he made them to make sure that they was my protector. So I didn't never have to go through none of that. But with him, I'm like, dang. After that, I'm like, but why am I still with this dude? Don't know. But I knew that God had placed me in his life for a reason. Whatever reason, this is the reason now, because we're still here. All that we went through, I had to go through to come out, for him to come out. Because in his mind, oh, he was gonna be a drug dealer until he died. Until one Mardi Gras, a lady spoke over his life, a prophet said, God is calling you. Of course, he had all his boys with him. He said, woman, what you talking about? You better get from around me with all this talking, man. Y'all better get her. So of course, they got her out of the way, but yet and still, God had a calling upon his life. When Troy used to come around me, he would always find me in church. I was a Catholic girl at the moment. Mm -hmm. He would come find me in church because I grew up Catholic. Of course, my mama made sure that I was the only one going to church if nobody in the house went to church. And when he would come look for me, he would find me at St. Raymond's Church. Somebody pat me on the shoulder. They say, that boy calling. <laughs> so I would get up. I said, well, what you doing? I'm at church. You either you're going to come in church or, you know, you got to wait till church is over until I'll call you or whatever. But to make a long story short, so much has gone on through this relationship in our marriage. Um, we wasn't married again at the time. He got shot. And then... At the time when he got shot, of course, I was taking care of him. He still wanted to be out in the street cheating and all this type of stuff. So I told him, I said, look, if this is what you're going to do, I'm leaving. I left 
Went to California. He shipped all my clothes to me or whatever. I was had both of my kids with me, Californians, and my daughter said, Mom, I'm ready to go back home to my daddy. I said, what? I said, girl, are we not going back home? You know, we, I didn't went through the shelter program. Then I said, this is not for me. So I wind up meeting with one of my girlfriend's friends and her mom had a house where no one was living in. So we wind up staying there. But he sent all my clothes and he, of course, wanted me to come back. And I'm like, I'm not coming back, dude, unless we get married. Then, of course, October the 9th, 1992, we got married. Of course, he had just gotten shot up. He was in a wheelchair. He was paralyzed for maybe three years. Three and a half. Um, three and a half years paralyzed. He got a ride right now in his leg. But I was willing to accept him back. You know, even still with all of the abuse going on, the fighting, all of that, I told him again, I say, I don't want you for what you think you can do for me because that's not what I want. I say, I want you. And we got married and we didn't renew our vows until 12 years later. Before we even renewed our vows, my son was burned in a house fire. We had just moved from the house where we had the big old jacuzzi in the middle of the floor. I mean, it was a beautiful home, but I hated the house because that was the house where everything went on from fighting again, you know, him just doing all kinds of things that I didn't approve of. But again, I was still with him. And that was the main fight was all about because he was doing something that I didn't want to raise my children around. But again, I wanted him, so I had to accept everything that came with it. So he was still selling drugs. Mm -hmm. And you guys at the time basically had five kids all together at that point. Actually, we only had three because two of them wasn't living with us at the moment. We had Chandrika that was living with us, Diamond and Latroy. Okay, he was still selling drugs. Three kids are living with you all. But that's how you afforded the big, beautiful house. Absolutely. Okay, and there was still abuse going on. Absolutely. And still Absolutely. Because that's why he got shot. He had met a young lady at City Hall or whatever, and he met her that night. But I had a dream the week before. And I woke up screaming and hollering and crying and stuff. And I said, they're coming with black masses on. And when I jumped up crying, he said, girl, ain't nobody coming after me go back to sleep and I couldn't go back to sleep because I was crying this dream was so real and then the next week it happened of course they came just like I told them it was like 12 of them it was more it was maybe the 12th like no, I said was about eight about 30 40 of them something like that really I was uptown I was in the turf I was sitting in the devil's den yeah he was in the devil's den mm -hmm. but the Lord had gave me that dream you know of course and that was a warning for him to whatever he was doing it was time for him to stop and this was behind some girl well it wasn't behind a girl you know it was that when you're in that light they out to get you yeah and that was pretty much you know god had a uh, hand always have been on me and uh, god was protecting me but i just didn't yield to the warnings that he sent sent a warning to a dream and I didn't yield to it. And when that happened, you know, it was like 30, 40 guys with masses and guns. And they came, and when they came, they wanted me. I understood the consequence if I was to leave. You know, so I fought much as I can, but I know it was the Lord that held me where. They couldn't pick me up and it was strange. It was like they tried to carry me, then they dropped me. You know, then they put the guns to both of my legs, guns went off, and instant I was paralyzed. Three and a half years, 
struggled with that mentally, spiritually, because God was calling me. And uh, I had to go through all that to get where I'm at now. I don't know why I stayed, but I know that my mom and my dad never divorced. And I seen my mom stick into whatever it was, you know, stick with it. I don't care if it was infidelity, you know, on my father's behalf. My mom and my dad is the only child, so only she had was him, you know. And so I didn't come from a family of divorce. And I didn't want to see my children grow up without their father, you know. And so I could have left. Of course I could have. I mean, I had every right to, you know, but I stood. And I knew that God sent me to him, you know. Not that I wanted to be there to deal with all what I had to deal with, mm -mm, but I did, you know, and there's books in this relationship, you know, there's movies in this relationship. And I believe, you know, even through all that we went through, we're not the only ones that have gone through it, but still here. Hey fam, it's me, Cody Lane Oliver, co-creator of Black Love and proud Howard grad. I'm just popping in to say thank you so much for listening and to share a little something that our friends at Target are doing to help uplift the next generation of Black talent. Target is teaming up with HBCUs to create Target's HBCU Design Challenge, where students submit designs to be included in Target's Black History Month collection. Plus, winners also receive a cash prize, equipment, mentoring, and networking opportunities. Make sure you check back during Black History Month to see all of the winners' designs that will be featured in Target's 2022 Black History Month collection. Celebrate your legacy, invest in the future, together, we are Black Beyond Measure. Visit Target.com slash Black Beyond Measure to learn more about Target's commitment to HBCUs. The process began to change when I began to yield to God. When I was in a wheelchair, my wife joined Greater St. Stephen's. I was highly upset because she came home and told me she joined church. This is a, a Baptist church. And I had a problem with that, but it was a setup. It was a setup, meaning that God allowed her to join the church, and I was so concerned about her. So she said, well, you can come. Now, I'm in a wheelchair, right? And the next Sunday, she have to roll me, first of all, in the church. Second of all, she helped me brace myself up. You know, in the house, you used to have a long railing down the hall. And the railing was there to help me try to do therapy, to help me. And every day she pushed me put a belt around me, held me. You're gonna walk, you're gonna walk, you're gonna walk. And I was so toned up, because one day I'm walking, the next day they telling me I can't walk. So I'm in the hospital and the doctor say, son, you can't. So I literally rolled out the bed thinking I'm gonna stand on my feet and I fell. And that's when I realized I couldn't walk. But my wife, she took time with me. And she wasn't my wife then, she took time with me. I remember a long time ago, deals I used to do, things I used to do, she used to tell me she was always praying over every situation. And when I heard that, I said, wow. But when it changed, when I started going to church, now I come up in church. But when I got old enough, I ran away from church. I always, like, the pastors was this, the pastor was that, not knowing that God had a calling on me to be a pastor. And through me going to church, that's when the process began to change. Because every time I went, I cried. I can't tell you, but God was cleansing me. Was always a good person, helped everybody, helped a lot of people. 
I did more help in that life than I did wrong. And people respected me, they loved me, because I helped people. I always had a heart for people. But that's when the process started, when I really started yielding to the power of God. The relationship kind of never got healthy, you know, because he was so of a controlling person, but he couldn't control me. And that's why we used to always bump heads. Mm -hmm. Because with him being in that lifestyle and me coming from where I came from, even with my father and with my brothers, he couldn't control me. But my daddy used to always tell me, you got a jealous man on your hand. But see, he didn't like me coming back with him with things, you know, like me telling him the right stuff because he's always in control. And when he had a woman who wasn't allowing him to do what he wanted to do, when he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it, that caused his manhood or whatever to be challenged. And no man really wants to be challenged. But at the same time, you're not going to treat me the way that you treat me. And I always tell him, I said, all I want you to do is just love me. I said, and I just want to be happy. That's it. I said, I don't want you for your money. All I want is you. And I want to be happy. That's it. But because my husband wasn't raised that type of way, he was always providing for himself. His mother, his father tried to do the best that they can. But he started at an early, early age. You know, he had his first child when he was 16. So he had to stop going to school to go to work to take care of her, you know. But I had my first child, I was 21. Of course, I was with someone else, but I left him when I was five months pregnant. And we always would bump heads because he's not used to a woman trying to tell him the right thing to do, you know. So that was always a problem, even in our relationship, even when we got married. It never really stopped. You know, like right now, my husband is 50, I'll be 50 in April. We are still trying to get to this point to where as nothing else matters but us. And like I tell him, I say, it's not what you can do for me. I say, but it's the little things that count. I told him just the other day, I said, what are the, like, the three things that I really asked for you to help me with that you never did? Take me fishing teach me how to ride a motorbike, and teach me how to ride a stick shift. That's it. That's all I want to do. And just laugh about the situation because nobody never taught me really how to learn to drive a stick. But I tried on my own, but I never got there. So I want you as my husband to teach me those things. My daddy used to teach me fishing, but now my daddy is 86 years old in March. He's confined to the bed but he can't do those things, you know? So it's just the little things that I ask that I want to just be happy, you know? But we have learned how to listen to one another. You know, at one time, he wouldn't listen to me, I wouldn't listen to him. So conflict would always come about. Even with the fact that we lived in New Orleans, moved to Maryland, came back, the Lord blessed us with our church, it still was going on. Hey, Black Love fam, this is Cody Elaine Oliver, co-creator of Black Love, and I want to take a beat to let you know that this episode of Black Love, the interviews is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. 
And I mean all communities, because at Howard, we used to have a McDonald's on campus. I mean, it's still there, but I say used to because I ain't been there in a while. We used to call it Club McDonald's because that was the spot at all hours of the day to hang out, have a good time and for sure get something to eat. So it was the place to study. It was the place after the club. But we still called it Club McDonald's because it was packed, uh, very reliable. And I absolutely love McDonald's for that. So know that when you're going to McDonald's, you're not just getting a good bite, but you are finding time to spend a little one-on-one or 40-on-40 with your homies (laughs) at Club McDonald's on Howard's campus and wherever you live. So remember, I'm loving it. You should too. The fifth cook stopped because he wasn't going to keep on getting the best of me because I had to show him I'm a fighter too. You know what I'm saying? So when he saw that side of me, oh, he didn't like it. But anyway. I think most important, God had a plan. And when we came into the power of God, then I began to find out who I really am, you know, in God. And that's when I began to learn how to love my wife, how to cherish her, how to honor her, how to support her, how to celebrate her. At one time, I didn't know that. He's still learning. Well, He's still learning. He still uh, learned, you know, because my husband done forgot birthdays. He done forgot uh, Valentine's Day. He done forgot anniversaries. But, but I've been doing good. You've been trying. I take that. You've been I trying. Take that. Okay. You know, but we've been married for 25 years together, almost 30. I mean, I'm still keeping through. When were you called to ministry? When did that start? See, the Troy was burned in 1993. Two, three. Three. Mm-hmm. Okay, that must have started around. 94. Yes. Yes. Because right when he got out the hospital, that's when we started back going to. Yeah, we started going to church. And through going to church, I was just so excited about being in church, being saved. I prayed and the Lord allowed me to walk again. I told the Lord, if you ever allow me to walk, I will serve you. But within that, I want to say that something that happened that I know the Lord was calling me. And I remember when my son, Troy, got burnt, uh, 75% of his body, 33 burns. And the Lord had spoke to me. And the Lord said, I'm calling you. And I witnessed my son walk from out of the garage in the house. 75% 75% in his body, third, third degree burns. When I seen that, I know that there was a God. Because the one time I was, I had unbelief about God. I know God, but it was just unbelief. But when I saw the power of God work in front of my face, and I never forget that my son uh, was rushed to the hospital and they wouldn't allow me to get in the room to see him because I was crying just that much. And then when they allowed me to go in the room, my son looked up at me. And said, Dad, why are you crying? I said, Dad, why are you crying? That literally freaked me out. That made me believe and know that God had him. Because I heard everybody telling me God got him. But until he, te- he told me that, that literally changed my heart. And that day instant, I looked at my friends that came to the hospital. You know, who did it, what happened? I said, I'm out. I said, what's going on? I said, I'm out. I said, I'm finished. Because yet, God had paralyzed me. I couldn't see it. 
yet he allowed me to walk. And I still couldn't see it. But when he showed me my son coming out of that fire, he touched what was close to me to get to me. And when I saw that, that had changed my whole mindset. The hot water heater. My son used to always watch me put answers, you know, answers on the ground. Gasoline on answers. When I cut the grass around the house, he would see me go get gas and pour it on the ants pile. He was in the car garage. I had the lawnmower in the car garage and they had some gas in the can. And he actually saw that. And he was only doing what he saw. What he saw. And he took the gas and poured it on the ants, that little bit of ants. It wasn't much, but he poured it. And when the hot water hit it, ignited, it exploded and everything. And he was in a car garage. Yeah. He was, two. he was two years old. Our dog was in there, Candice. When the fire marshals got there, they say it's impossible for the dog to die and your son to walk out. Where the hot water heater was lit, the hot water heater was real long, real wide. My son literally walked from around the van. They can't understand the day how he did it. He walked from around the van and walked to the door. At that time, my wife was saying, it's time for him to go to sleep. You know, he right there. You know, we know he was right there because the car garage is connected to the house. He went out there with the puppy like he always do and then come right back in. When my wife opened up the door, the fire brushed out of the car garage. It caught my wife's hair. She running through the house screaming, this long hall. She running through the hall, her hair's on fire. She's screaming, my son, my son. When I realized that, I tried to go in the garage. The fire was hot. I mean, when I walked in there, the fire on my head, everything just was melting instant. Tried to get out of the door, could not get out of the door. Had burglar, alone, burglar balls on the house, all this stuff, right? When I got there to the door, I could not open it. Right now, today, I know it had to be the power of the Holy Spirit. The door opened. When I opened the door, I grabbed the hose pipe. The hose pipe was on. I felt the water running down my arm. I'm all wet. The hose pipe is on. The water would not come out of the hose pipe. I'm squeezing the hose pipe, but I heard a voice say, I've been calling you. After I heard that voice, the house went dark. Everything went dark instant when that door opened because of the smoke. After that, when I heard that verse, it was like it got bright. I saw a bright light and I saw my son walk down to the fire. 75% of his body, third degree burn. I had the hose pipe in my hand. I'm squeezing it. The water is running, it's on. The water would not come out. When I grabbed my son, two years old, I put him under the zinc. Not knowing instant, I could have killed them. The father instant, I could have killed them because all his wounds was open. Third degree burns. That's when I know there was a God. That's when my life changed. That's when my, my pattern, my thoughts, it began to change. It began to direct directly to God when he walked out of that fire. Rushed him to the hospital, like I say. He's going to the hospital in, in a police car. He's looking at the sirens. Never once complained about his burn. My wife at the hospital, I'm there with the fire marshals. 
They say, no way in the world your son walked all the way around here. They say, but it's funny because we see the footsteps. We see the tennis he had on his feet. My wife, I just bought him a brand new pair of Jordans and she put it on his feet that night. Every step he made, it was melted to the cement, to the floor. So his footsteps. When I seen that, I know there was a God. Nobody didn't have to tell me. I witnessed the power of God for myself. And ever since that, the change has started, the change. And I was hungry for God. He's well. Troy now is uh, 27, own his own restaurant, graduated from Lusha High, one of the top in the class, uh, graduated from LSU. Well, he uh, didn't graduate from LSU, but he went to. Um, they paid him to go to school at LSU. He went there for a year and something, very well educated, doing good, a healthy young man. And I give God glory because I know what was on my life been broken and the enemy can't use it on his life. And I'm excited about that. Hey fam, it's me, Cody Lane Oliver, co-creator of Black Love and proud Howard grad. I'm just popping in to say thank you so much for listening and to share a little something that our friends at Target are doing to help uplift the next generation of Black talent. Target is teaming up with HBCUs to create Target's HBCU Design Challenge, where students submit designs to be included in Target's Black History Month collection. Plus, winners also receive a cash prize, equipment, mentoring, and networking opportunities. Make sure you check back during Black History Month to see all of the winners' designs that will be featured in Target's 2022 Black History Month collection. Celebrate your legacy, invest in the future, together, we are Black Beyond Measure. Visit Target.com slash Black Beyond Measure to learn more about Target's commitment to HBCUs. And how are you through this? This is both of you, right? Yes. I don't know how I was, but all I knew was what I knew, and that was God, you know. So that's all I stood on was God because I had just started a new job, and I told the Lord, I said, Lord, if you allow me to see Wednesday, we will be in Bible study. And we was at Bible study that night, of course. And my husband said at the moment that we were at Bible study, him and his friend was on the corner of his mother's house. And he said, "One, I don't know who said what. I don't know if it was him or his friend. And he said, man, something strange. It just don't feel right. I'm going home. And when he came home, he came in. The Troy had ran from out of the garage. He said, nan, nanny, boo, boo, went back into the garage. Then we was talking to our oldest daughter because she always would be the one to give us problems at school. And he went in the garage, came back, and he was telling his daddy something. His daddy said, all right, man, I'm uh, whatever. But he went back. I think he was telling his dad that there was ants in the garage. But of course, we were dealing with her. And he went back into the garage. And I said, you know what? I said, it's time for me to get LaTroy ready for bed because I got to go to work in the morning. Open up the garage door. Bam, fire was everywhere. But through prayers, Amen. I mean, of course, he went through a lot of surgery, a lot of skin graft, flying back and forth to Houston, Texas from the burn center, taking those baths where they had to scrub them. And I mean, you know, then they had to do skin grafts all over his body. He was in Children's Hospital for a very long time, you know, wearing those garments for protecting of his skin and 
things like that. It was rough. It was really rough because of the dog had passed. We call ourselves go and get another dog that kind of like looked like him because we got this little dog from out of the um, SPCA and got him fixed up, got him cleaned up and everything. Brought him to the window where Latroy was at the hospital because we couldn't bring him in. Latroy said, that's not Candy. Because <laughs> the dog name was Candy because it was a black and white Cocker Spaniel. And when Latroy made it home, we had to go buy a new baby Cocker Spaniel and let him, you know, grow up with them or whatever. But it was a very hard process to see my son go through that because I too was burned. When I was two years old, I was burned with hot coffee. Coffee was all over my body. Of course, I still have the marks to show, but um, his marks are very greater than mine. You still can see even in his face when he was burned, you can't even tell that he was burned but of course on his arms and his legs and things like that. But there is a God, you know, even in our situation, there is a God, you know. I love my husband. If I didn't, I wouldn't be here all these years. Wouldn't have stayed, you know, even with church hurt, you know, with members, you know, even with that can't see eye to eye in church, out of church, at home. You know, it's just been a process that we have gone through with this marriage, with this relationship, but we're still here. Well, Katrina hit August of 2005. We had a privilege right before Katrina. Uh, the Lord had blessed us with our church and that was 2004 in June, correct? Mm -hmm. 2004 in June, we I walked into our ministry uh, to do what the Lord had called for us to do. Came in, started building the church. Uh, was such a great blessing because when we came into the church, church was confessed it, drug area, drug confessed it, and God used us to go in and clean it up. Church booming, church growing, we moving. But then come August 2005, Katrina hit. So actually that Sunday I woke up. I woke up, I don't forget that Sunday. Uh, right before Katrina landed, my wife was like, we need to leave. I said, we need to leave. We have church tomorrow. She said, you talking about church? You need to leave. Everybody was packing up Friday, Saturday. Everybody leaving. I said, Saturday was the deadline. You really need to get out. So that Sunday, I came to church. I woke up. I said, babe, I'm going to church. She comes and said, no, I ain't going to church. You know, she said, we need to be leaving. I said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go to church. When I come back, we'll get on a high where we go. Came to church, 17 people showed up. It was a young lady, she had four kids. She said, Pastor, I'm gonna ride it out. I said, the Lord is telling me to tell you, you and your kids need to leave. And uh, she wound up leaving. But when the hurricane did hit, four of my members died. A lot of people that was here were stranded. Me and my wife leave. We supposed to be going to Arkansas, but we wind up in Derrida. After we wind up in Derrida, we wind up in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we go to Atlanta, Georgia. We get the kids situated. We stress them because everything we look in, we looking at the news. The water high, devastating. They're saying we can never come back. You know, after Katrina, it's devastating. And we were stressing. The stress really started then. Because all we had, what was on our back. Uh, we took the smallest vehicle that we can take. 
We know we was coming right back. We wanted to save gas and just take a couple of things. So we took the PT Cruiser. That was the smallest one we had. So we took that. We left everything behind. Everything behind was lost. We lost the church. The church took seven feet of water. The hall took seven feet of water. All of the church property, seven feet of water. Our home took uh, four and a half feet of water. And it was devastating. So we end the river. Uh, my, my wife, family, so we, we said we got to leave from there because everybody was coming. Family was coming from everywhere. The house was packed. It was time for us to go. Wind up going all the way to Atlanta, Georgia. One of my pastor friends called, said, hey, y'all come here, bring the kids. You know, we got y'all, y'all good. We went to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we stood there. I'm more concerned now. I got my family, but I'm now more concerned about my members. Concerned about going get them, looking for the members. Where are my members? Where are the people? Me and my wife, we left in the PT Cruiser. I went to a car dealer shop before I left the river. When I got there, I said, man of God, I don't have no titles. I don't have nothing. I said, but I am who I am. I told him who I were. I said, but that truck I want, I never forget, it was a GM. It was a, uh, a Suburban three-seater, TVs in it, because I wanted to be able to carry everybody around. Came home, they did what they had to do. We pulled off a lot with that trade in the PT Cruiser. We left, go to Atlanta, Georgia. We get there, we got the kids situated. From there, my wife uh, was going through. They told her her mom had drowned, her daddy had drowned. They saw them floating in the water. She was gone. She was stressing. She had caught some type of, what you had caught? The shingles. The shingles. Something I never heard of before. Me started neither. Started breaking out. Said it was get chicken pops, you get the shingles. So, and yeah, she was stressing just that bad. So we, we leave in there. Uh, we went to Houston, Texas. We went to Dallas. Seeing people in Houston, seeing people in Dallas, going to these shelters. Me and my wife, April, we went together. The kids are in Atlanta in school. They, yes, they're in Atlanta. We got them situated. They're in school. We gone. So we go Dallas, Houston. We go into St. Charles Parish. We went to uh, Mississippi. We went everywhere looking. She's looking for her mom. Don't know where her mom at. Don't know where her dad at. So in the shelter, we wind up finding her brother. And we asked them where, you know, is their mom? Where's their mom? Where's their dad? And they gave her comfort, letting them know that they did left, but they got separated. So we didn't know. So she still was unsure. So when we made trips all the way around the world, we wind up going back to Atlanta. And she have never yet talked to her mom or her dad. Come to find out there was in Louisiana, in the country, Mississippi, in an old folks home. Uh, they don't know how nothing electronic, computers, nothing like that. They were just sitting there. Some kind of way, my wife got a phone call and they asked her and next thing you know, we jumped on the road, we gone. Now she located her mother 
So she gets her mother back to Houston, get her mother set up, living wise. It took weeks to do this, living wise and everything. So we got them together. We headed back to Atlanta. Now I'm more concerned about New Orleans because this is where everything at. Uh, we done lost a lot. I'm looking how I have to go back to the city, see about the church, see about the house. And that's when it really started between me and my wife because I was more concerned, and I can honestly say this, about rebuilding the church, about the people. And I really wasn't there 100% with my family. So I started coming to New Orleans. I started living in New Orleans and my wife living in Atlanta, Georgia. When you said, I'm gonna go to New Orleans, I'm gonna take care of stuff, how did you feel then? What did you say? I was like, well, there's nothing you can do in <clears throat> New Orleans. You know, I mean, we're here, you know, and you're going to New Orleans, what there is to do. They say you can't even come back to New Orleans. So why are you so in a rush trying to go build a church or go build this or go build that when you can't even get into New Orleans. Well, that's what he wanted to do, you know? He was so concerned about the members. The members were everywhere. I mean, we all were at this point. We were everywhere. There was no place that we went that we didn't see at least one of our members. But he was so into going back to New Orleans, you know? So that's when the division started. Again, that's when I became lonely, you know, stressing out as it relates to him not being here with us. And he was being in New Orleans, you know. So, I mean, at this point now, you really showing me that you're not really here for your family. You're only there for what you think that is important to you when we should be important. So, of course, I'm stressing even more, you know, cause I'm getting it. Them little bumps, whatever, they were hurting. Oh my God, they was like worse than ever. And I grew up with chicken pox, but this was like torture to me, you know, but he wanted to do what he wanted to do. So, I mean, you know, so that he went his way and I went my way. He was living in New Orleans. I was living in Atlanta. What did it take for you all to see eye to eye, for you to see how she was feeling? Well, what did it take? It literally, you know, took for her to you know, cry out to me and because we, you know, my family had got situated in Atlanta when they had their own apartment, calls, everything. But that, that was still in But I know she wanted me to be there and I just wasn't comfortable there. Uh, but when she really cried out to me and I saw that I was losing my wife, it really uh, made me to, you know, to realize that I need to be here with my wife. How did you know you were losing her versus, oh, she's just mad right now? Well, the, the conversations, not just, it was just something different. And I know that I was losing her. You know, when she started saying, I gotta go on with my life. I have to do what I have to do. And I'm starting to see her and my kids take family pictures. I'm starting to see them do things together. And when I see the pictures, it would hurt. It would hurt because I know I belong in the picture, but I'm not there to be found with the picture, you know, in the picture. 
and it started hurting. And then I was in New Orleans, my wife asked me, she said, would you do me a favor? You know, I said, what you need? I was in New Orleans, I just had left Atlanta. I said, I was going back to New Orleans. She said, I need you to go to Appaloosa for me. So that's in the country, so what, Mississippi. And Louisiana. Louisiana, okay. Well, I said, okay, I would. She said, I need you to go get this puppy. I said, a puppy? What am I going to get a puppy for? She said, please, I'm just asking you, would you do this for me? So I left Atlanta, drove here. Now I got to drive another three hours. three hours to go to Opelousas. So I go to Opelousas and I get this puppy. But when they saw this puppy, it was so beautiful. It was so pretty where I felt in love with the puppy. She saw him probably through a video or I don't know. I didn't see him until you brought him to Correct. me. I okay. could just imagine what he looked like. She couldn't see him. So I go pick him up. Her. Her. When I pick her up, I made a box. Because like I said, I'm in a suburb, big old back. I made it comfortable and nice. So when I left Opelousa, I come back to New Orleans. Stop here for a minute. Did something, but I know I had to get to Atlanta, Georgia. I drove all the way to Atlanta, Georgia. And I want to say that Mercedes, the puppy, brought so much joy, so much laughter, and brought the family together. It was the missing link to have us to smile again, to have us to be excited again. It took Mercedes, a puppy, to come in our life and to bring the joy and the happiness back. You can share from there. Well, she became family. Yeah. You know, she became the the part that I was missing. You know, of course, he wasn't there sometimes. My kids wasn't there. Of course, they had to go to school, but I had grew this bond with Mercedes and that brought a lot of healing to me through this moment. Brought a lot of laughter that I did not have, a lot of joy to me. And that kind of like took the place of all what I was feeling away. Mm-hmm. Today she's, she been killed by a car. So she just was a part of us. Everywhere we went, she went. Did you stay in Atlanta after that? No. Well, I was more home after that. I was more home. I was in Atlanta. I was more in Atlanta. But by this time, we were traveling back and forth. It's the holiday season. You know, we had to went to Mississippi to visit his mom. Then we went to Texas to visit our parents. So we were just traveling back and forth. But then at some point, I was ready to leave Atlanta. And when we left Atlanta, we went to Baton Rouge. And when we went to Baton Rouge, we found the house in Baton Rouge. Then from the house that we was in Baton Rouge, we moved to Segan Lane Apartments. And from that point, we came back to New Orleans to build, to rebuild the church. So that you all did together. But when did you actually say or decide or do something to show her that you were committed to the family? 
or maybe you could answer. When, well, know. it was around the time when the holidays yeah, we started, was, was coming. We started doing more stuff together. You know, we started, I go to Atlanta and I take the whole family. Uh, we go and visit my mom in Mississippi. Then we go to Texas, visit her mom. Then we go and, you know, we just came together because it, it was broken. We were separated, but when Mercedes came, it kind of brought us together mm -hmm. and it brought the family. Everybody was excited yeah, about Mercedes. Mercedes, Mercedes right. had more clothes than all of us. Mercedes had a car seat. Mercedes uh, had a stroller. stroller. Mercedes got married. It was just, it yeah. just brought so much joy yeah. and laughter and excitement and fun. Did you ever say anything to her? Did you ever apologize? Did you ever acknowledge that in a way you left, you know, abandoned them? Yes, and that's one thing. I'm quick to apologize. And I did apologize to her that, you know, I was sorry. I was wrong from leaving them, abandoning them. I had to learn that, you know, it was about family first, you know, and everybody else second. But I was putting everybody else first and putting family second. 